0: This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we have packed a few different shows together that we call Highlights to help you to get the most bang for your time in educating you on the topics that you want to learn from. We would love to hear from you. I am grateful that you are with us today. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Bill Ham. Thanks for being on the show, Bill. Hey, thanks, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Yeah, over the last 15 years, Bill has created a large portfolio of multifamily assets. His first 400 units were all bought with creative financing. He has written a book on creative cash to share those techniques with us today. Yeah, the book's called Creative Cash. Is that right, Bill? Correct. That's the name of the book, Creative Cash awesome well I'm looking forward to hearing more about the book but I but I want you to you know I want us to be able to dive into obviously some creative financing techniques that maybe you share in the book or some ways that you can help the listeners think outside the box a little bit right I mean it's it's a big part of this business is, is being creative and, and being able to make a deal work and hopefully it's conservative steel all those things right but but there's so many different ways to make it happen give us a little more about who you are bill maybe your background your focus right now and let's jump into uh, some of the creative financing uh, things that we we should be thinking about that. You're going to help help the listeners with.
1: Absolutely. So I've been in in real estate for 16 years. I uh, started in houses uh, flipping single families. My very very first deal was a duplex. I had I was a I was a pilot by trade, backing all the way up. I was flying airplanes. Started studying real estate uh, in in 04, 03, 04, Closed my first deal in 05, which was a duplex. I had saved up $10,000 and the duplex, duplex was cash flowing 300 bucks. And that's what I walked away from my aviation career with. I uh, just went into real estate full-time for better or for worse and started flipping houses for a few years and then got into multifamily and then started growing my multifamily uh, portfolio, larger and larger, started off with some small ones and got bigger and bigger. Did my first 400 units with, with some form of creative financing. And my first syndicated deal was 152 units, but I actually got seller financing on the deal. So quick, quick background on that. My partner and I went in and we had to put down 25% in order to 75% loan to value. And the 25% allowed this seller to clear their debt. They had a Fannie Mae mortgage, I believe. And so they didn't have much uh, of it left They owned it for a long time. We were able to clear that primary loan. They then originated a two year seller financing with my partner and I. We, we brought on our, our limited partner investors and sort of combined a syndication with seller financing or syndicated a seller financing deal. And so that was my first uh, foray into larger commercial assets. And, and I've been here ever since.
0: Nice. Would you go into the detail or just a little more about that as far as, you you know, you said you syndicated that deal. So you have investors on that deal or limited partners. Uh, But then there's also a dynamic, this seller financing. Could you explain a little more of the details there? Was there any issues with the limited partners or, you know, anybody have concerns about that? You know, or how did that work a little bit?
1: The the backstory of how we actually got into that deal, my partner and I got into that deal, was that uh, the seller had a problem. And, And that's one of my big focuses, and that's one of my big subjects in the book, is how to look at deals and how to analyze deals in very specific ways so that you see what other people don't see. And it's by using this lens of creativity that we can look at a deal, dissect the deal, dissect the seller, and say, what, what's really the motivation here? What's going on? And can we create an offer that is a problem-solving offer? And that's the number one way we're going to get creative financing is when when a seller has an issue that we can come in and solve. Well, this particular deal, the seller had leased out too many of the units to this one sort of facility that was a behavioral facility and leased out in a bunch of units from the property and put some of their patients in there. So what happened is all the lenders didn't like that. And they said, you have too. what's called a concentrated economic driver. And they said, you've got too much concentration to this one company. I think we were at something absurd, like 22%, you know, and, and Fannie and Freddie will get itchy after about 10%. We were way over that. And so debt was really hard to come by. We are also in sort of a post-recession uh, market in middle Georgia. That area hadn't really recovered as far as um, values and, and attention to real estate. So there was a lot of aspects that made the deal hairy, if you want to call it that. So the seller was having trouble getting anybody to actually close the deal. And that's when I came in, saw the issue, saw that the real estate was actually good real estate and the numbers worked and the business was solid it was the seller that actually had the issue and I can create a, a solution for that seller. And and that's uh, basically how we got into the deal.
0: And then mention again, what, what you did there. I know, you know, what did the seller finance and what part of the deal, you know, was the seller financing? How did you make that work for both of you? So the seller was on board with that.
1: Yeah. It's what I, I really talk a lot about in the book. and I teach a lot of my students is to give on price and take on terms So when you're going into a creative deal, whether it's a master lease option or seller financing or any of the types of creative financing that that I teach and share in the book, it's about really understanding that the seller is probably going to be more sensitive about price, but not nearly as sensitive about the terms such as interest rate, maybe down payment, interest only window, things of this nature. So this deal basically broke down to 75% loan to value. We had to put out 25%. But what we did was to be able to go in there and defer a, a certain amount of those first payments. They, they accrued to the back end, but we didn't actually have to straddle the property with debt from the cash flow. So we were able to defer, I believe it was like six months worth of payments in the beginning. So we were, you know, had a lot of cash flow that we were able to go in and use that money to then stabilize and turn around the operations as we lowered uh, the tenant base. So we, we basically literally had to get rid of cash paying tenants. But go figure, right? That's what we had to do, you know. And and so we did that, and we released those units to regular street tenants, you know, normal market rate tenants. And uh, at that point in time, within the two year window, we'd stabilize the asset. We were able to refinance into a long
0: term Fannie Mae loan, and um, ever ever happy ever after, basically. Good deal. So so ultimately, he he needed the 25% down to get out of his debt, like you were talking about. But then he financed the deal for you as the seller. And then, but your terms is what helped you a lot. Because you said, okay, I'll pay this price. Because that's what he's stuck on. Just like you said, so many sellers, like they, they like that number, right? They like that number. However, there's other ways to make it better for yourself. And it sounds like you made that happen. What other examples or, or how else, you know, would you help the, help the listener think through right now some creative financing options or to creative cash options, right? You know, to uh, that, that maybe we wouldn't normally think of uh, that you've seen people take deals down with.
1: Yeah, there's, there's lots, of, uh, lots of techniques out there and, and lots of ways to combine certain techniques. The two major ones and the ones that I cover the most are seller financing and, and master lease options. If you're in the single family market, it's just a lease option. You know, we call it master lease option when you start covering multiple units at one point in time. Those are two uh, two of my favorite techniques. They have not had a lot of traction and not a lot of use over the last five or six years simply because sellers have not had that many problems. You know, if a seller had a problem, they could probably just take that property, put it in the market. They're going to get asking price. You know, we all know over the last year or two, they're probably going to get more than asking price. So that tide has kind of floated all of those problem boats. Well, what I'm predicting is that we're we're at the top of a market cycle. We're going to go down here soon. Maybe not a crash. I don't believe we're headed into a, a full meltdown, sort so to speak. But I do believe we're going to have a pullback. One of the big areas we're going to have a pullback in is debt. And we're already seeing that. All right. So we're seeing lenders starting to tighten up. We're seeing Fannie and Freddie at this point in time, making us have the one year's worth of uh, principal interest taxes, insurance. Now, this is this is difficult and it's making uh, deals much harder to fund that's where we're going to see the advent of creative financing. And so I'm predicting over the next year, two years is where this subject is going to become very popular, uh, because it's going to be how you're going to have to deal with a distressed asset or a value add asset when those lenders may not be there to fund it. And I always kind of make the joke on when the market's going up, we call a distressed asset or something that needs work or renovation, we call that value add but when the market's on the other side, we call it a distressed asset. <laughs> it's the same property. It's the same repairs, right? We have a, a nice name for it and then a bad name for it. Well, we're going into the distressed asset market. And that term comes about because it's lenders. They it will start labeling these as, as distressed assets and no longer value add. And that's the excuse they'll give you for not funding or for giving you very low to value, very low low to value. So. That's what we'll use creative financing for. Now, a specific technique for your listeners, one of the big techniques that I use is what I call uh, the SPY technique. And this is something that I created and SPY stands for Seller Property you, And that is the order in which you're gonna wanna analyze the deal. Most people make a mistake. The, the biggest mistake that most people make when kind of analyzing and looking at creative financing is to sit down and decide what is good for them, the buyer or the investor. You know, what's good for me? Then I'm going to look at the property and I'm going to say, okay, maybe maybe there's something wrong with the property. And then lastly, I'm going to think of the seller. That's a mistake. You got to reverse the order. And that's why I created the acronym SPIS to remind you, start with the seller and the seller's problems. Make sure your offer solves that part. Then move to the property and see what the property wants. All right, now craft your offer to create something that may solve the uh, deferred maintenance uh, low uh, occupancy, you know, the, the list can go on and on. Okay, and then lastly, the offer needs to solve your problems, and you are the least important in the equation. And that's that's the biggest tip I think I can give listeners is is follow that technique, and you will increase the probability of of getting deals done through creative financing tenfold, easy.
2: Joining me today is Christian Osgood, co-founder of Multifamily Strategy. Christian's been investing for several years in multifamily real estate, has over 100 units um, without syndicating and without using a lot of his own cash. Uh, We're going to get into a lot of owner financing, creative financing structures, and uh, various other aspects of running a decent-sized multifamily portfolio. Christian, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Are you a real estate syndicator or professional who is looking to grow your business in 2023? Are you tired of attending networking meetup after meetup and thinking that there has to be a better way? Have you ever thought about podcast guesting? According to Statista, podcasts are going to reach over 100 million listeners by 2024. Podcast guesting allows you to tap into that network of listeners. At You. They've worked with hundreds of investors to secure guest placements on thousands of podcasts so they can raise more capital, generate brand awareness, and increase their credibility. If you're interested in learning how podcast guesting can help grow your real estate business in 2023, go to podcastingyou.com forward slash syndication to book your free discovery call. Fantastic. So you're based in
2: Washington. Uh, I'm curious, are you guys investing primarily in the Pacific Northwest?
3: Um, So actually, the vast majority of our portfolio is in central Washington. Um, I have seven units in Seattle. Uh, Cody and I just bought a resort and the adjacent property on the Hood Canal, which is on the coast. And the rest of our portfolio is in Moses Lake, Washington, Grant County. Okay. So all in-state, but kind of all over the state in two separate markets.
2: So I'm really curious about the resort property. You'd mentioned that um, as we were getting started. Give us the story on that because nothing that I love more, it's it's a good story around real estate, a resort property. You know, it's a little bit different. Is it Airbnb? How'd you guys find it? Let's uh, let's get in and do a case study here.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to preface this with a couple of quick things. Um, I'm not a big fan of people changing around their business models. Stick with what you're good at. So we bought a hundred multifamily units we went to resort. That is a change of model. I usually tell people not to do that. So I want to preface with exactly why we did So well. do
2: as you say, not as you do. Is that what you're trying to tell our audience, Christian?
3: No, do exactly as I do. But there's a reason that we did it this way. Uh, okay. so, All, right. All right.
2: Preface accepted.
3: Yes. The original goal that Cody and I set between the two of us was in the next two years. Is it possible for the two of us to buy a hundred units? together. We just set this crazy goal. We were on a trip in Florida. That's where I met Cody. And we're like, okay, let's try to do that. Well, we did it in one year. And the way that we did this is every time we do something, we meet someone at the next level who's done what we want to do. So say I own a duplex. I talked to someone with the 12plex. How did you get to where you're at? And once you get to hundred units, that was the original goal. I built a team that had a lot of Airbnb experience through the process. And we went to a resort owner. And this is how this deal came together, tying it in. The deal came up from a friend, uh, Dion McNeely from uh, Dion Talk. He's another YouTube channel. He was looking at this deal. It was too active for him. And he's like, you guys should check out this resort. And I'm like, well, we don't really do resorts, but I would like to learn. So we called the owner and said, hey, I want to check out your resort because I want to see what it looks like to run a resort. And we spent a few days down there. And Cody liked it so much that uh, he moved in for a month, the owner, (laughs) just to learn how to run a resort. And that was all during the negotiation. There's one way to go. Yep. That was all pre close. We were talking about it. I love this property and it felt like the appropriate next step for our team in real estate. We hit our original goal first. We have a base of renters paying its cash flow on long term leases, like annual rental leases. That was a place where I was comfortable taking a next step in our business, which brings us to the resort. Resort deal was um, a seller finance, like everything in the portfolio was. $4.5 million purchase, 20 cabins on the water. If you're watching and you're not familiar with the Hood Canal, it's one of the Forbes most beautiful places in the United States, Union, Washington. Right now, the orcas are running through the canal. Salmon are swimming up our creek that runs through the resort. It is a super cool, unique asset in a gorgeous place. The opportunity on this one is adding systems the owners have owned that for a long time the prior owners and they were live on site full-time and they had no debt so they didn't have to push every business revenue piece they didn't have to optimize everything because they already had a model that worked well enough for them and they were doing just fine for us coming in and actually having debt we had to take it to the next level and that's the process that we're at now Fantastic. How
2: did it go negotiating that project? Because it's a small resort. It's very boutique. You know, there's the Airbnb. There's it's very heavy on operations. You know, this owner sounds like they really loved the property. If I had the guess reading between the lines, it was kind of their pride and joy. They don't want to just sell to anybody. They want to sell to somebody who's going to kind of take it to that next level. So there's an emotional component that maybe you don't see in some traditional multifamily deals. Walk us through how you guys navigated all of that.
3: Well, the negotiations were kind of fun. The prior owner has done some serious business leadership. Uh, I, I don't know how much he wants me to share, but I'll say he's done very, very well in the medical space, very well in multiple industries. So he knows how to run a business and he knows how to negotiate. So we went through, uh, I remember our first conversation when it finally got down to, well, what do you guys want to do? I was like, well, I'm in. He's like, so how are we closing this? You guys, um, you guys bring a checkbook? And that's where we got to start laughing because we got to share a little bit more of our story of how we started a multifamily without any money. And we just, it's, it's all storytelling. If you're building relationships, you just connect over. This is where I've been, where I'm at, where I'm trying to go. And lastly, why it's significant. But we just shared our story of how we got to the 100 units where we're at. And we shared Maybe unwisely. Well, we're looking at another deal in central Washington right now where it's a million dollar raise. And that's that's where we're comfortable in what we can raise. So of course they went, Oh, well, a million dollars down sounds ideal. I was like, oh, we should have said we were raising 450. But <laughs> that's the first number thrown our way. They helped us structure a rather complex contract. It's a combination of seller financing and contract for deed on the multiple parcels, but we put together a master structure to uh Take it out. I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Cody's here. He's our numbers guy. But uh four and a half percent interest, million dollars down, seller financed, eight-year note. And um, day one, it is very cash flow heavy, which is good because it's an active project. You expect on an on a very active resort where you have more inputs, the income does need to be higher than traditional multifamily.
0: Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.